chapter last week, but this week we're going to cover two chapters. So we don't have to go that high speed. You won't be like, oh, we're flying too fast. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel 18. Remember the Bible trivia thing? David was probably about 17 when he killed David and Goliath. So where do you find David and Goliath? In 1 Samuel 17. Now in 1 Samuel 18, it has just happened. And word is getting out of what David did. Remember all the whole army, they were all uh, fired up from David killing Goliath. That they all went and they killed all these Philistines and they chased them all the way back to Goliath's hometown, basically. Pretty crazy. So David comes, talks to Saul. He's like, man, you're going to come work for me all the time. I'm not going to let you, you know, you've been coming and playing my harp some. Whenever I get in a bad mood and you kind of make everything better. But now you're just going to stay here because, dude, we didn't know you could fight. You could play music and you could fight. You're like all in one package here. So 1 Samuel 18, as soon as he finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So Jonathan is probably closer in age to David. Later on, and, and uh, I forget where, where I found it exactly, but if David is about 17, Jonathan is about 27 at this point. They're about 10 years apart from each other. But it's kind of like, and you guys, y'all may have had some of these friendships where there's somebody that's older than you, that you respect, and you think they're awesome, they're not quite old enough to be your mom or dad. They're younger than that, but they're older than you by a length, and you just want to hang out with them because they're so cool, and they're, they're so much smarter. It might be a big brother. It might just be an older person. Some of you might have been this person or might be this person now, where you've got somebody that's a good friend, but you know what? They're 10 years younger than you are. They're in a whole... Not completely different state of life, but they're in a different stage. Well, Jonathan, he seized, remember who Jonathan is. He's the guy that went out and said, you know what? God might give us victory today. He had a knowledge of God. He had an understanding of God and how God loved Israel as a nation and as a people and would beat the Philistines. Remember, Jonathan's the guy that said, let's go. And if, if they say to us, come up here and let's fight you, then we know that God has given them into our hand. That whole scene. So Jonathan, he has an understanding of the Lord. He's also depending on the Lord. He has this way of, of life that he knows that he depends on God. And if he heard everything that David said, right? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine to, to shame the armies of God? Then that's going to resonate with him. And he knows that 
David was depending on God for his victory over Goliath. And he knows that God gave him the victory. So there's a, there's a bunch of things here. So all of a sudden now that Saul is like, we're going to bring this guy into our, into our court. And he's going to be a part of us here in the king's house. Jonathan is like, man, I love that guy. He, this dude, I want to hang out with him more. Well, remember last chapter when David was getting ready to go into battle, Saul said, here, take my armor, take my robe, and none of it fit. And David couldn't wear it, and it just didn't work right. He said, I have never worn any of this. This, is, this just doesn't suit me. Isn't it interesting that now the heir to the throne of Saul says, take my robe, take my armor, and it all fits. So I don't think it's just Saul had a pot belly and David didn't. I think there's more going on here that the role of the heir to the throne of Saul fits David. To take the throne of Saul himself, the actual throne that Saul sat upon and, and the kingdom that Saul had doesn't fit David. There's this next generation of kingdom and that fits David. So this is a really big deal. This isn't just, hey, you need a, you need a hat. You're going to be out in the sun. Here, wear my hat. This is, I'm the only other person in this whole kingdom that has a sword and I'm giving it to you. I'm the only person in this kingdom that's worthy to wear a robe that says, I am the son of the king, the heir to the throne, and I'm giving it to you to wear. This is a really, really big deal. David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So now dressed like the heir to the throne, David goes out and he just wins every battle. And this is encouraging to me as a person that lives and works in the world. Saul's evil. We've established that, right? He doesn't know how to be king. He doesn't do a good job at it. And even when David, who loves God and is seeking God, is sent out by evil men... For their own motives, God is still using that for his purposes. God is still using David's life to bring glory to God, even though he's being sent out by evil old Saul. As they're coming home when David returned, so David goes out to fight. He goes and fights with a, lot of, a whole lot of men, go and fight with him. They come back, and this is like the New York City ticker tape parade, right? This is like when the guys came back from landing on the moon. This is like when the end of the war and the, the sailor is kissing that lady in that famous picture. This is a huge party. And it says what the women are singing. The women are singing because the women have been watching for their husbands. Are they going to come back? Is, is my husband going to come back from this war? And they are singing and they sing, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Oh, dear. So David, in their songs, is ten times the man that Saul is. They're celebrating it. They think it's great. Saul does not like this at all. 
And David, you know, he's like, I don't even care. I'm just glad to be back. I just killed a whole bunch of people. It says that Saul eyed David, this is verse 9, Saul eyed David from that day on. That is just such a lame translation and you just have no idea. So eyed means to look at with sin. He didn't just watch him. Every time he looked at David, he sinned in his heart. That's how bad he, he was. It was hatred. It was jealousy. It was envy. It was uh, regret. I mean, just layers and layers. But every time he looked at David, he sinned. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. And he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. And he, as he did day by day. So this is the reason why David came to meet Saul in the first place, right? Some sort of spirit from God comes on Saul. And it says it's an evil spirit. Sometimes I, I, as I look through this, I don't think that it was evil as in God intended evil. But think through if Saul knows that he didn't follow God and he had the kingdom ripped out of his hands. Just remember when he grabbed Samuel's cloak and it tore and he said, God has ripped this kingdom out of your hands and given it to someone else. If Saul is mad every time they sing about David and every time he sees David, a spirit from God could come and show up and talk about how great God's kingdom was and Saul would be mad. A spirit from God could come and say, the king of Israel is the most glorious job anyone could ever have. And Saul, knowing that he has just had the kingdom ripped from his hands, would get so angry. Does that make sense? So don't stumble over that and think, oh, why would God do anything evil to anybody? Saul's evil. And so when you show him something good and glorious, he's going to just lose his mind and just get so upset and angry. Oh, I hate that. So he's so mad. So here's David singing the Psalms. Okay, so put all this together. If there's a spirit from God that comes and is just proclaiming truth, because God can't lie. Proclaiming truth. Israel is a chosen nation. I love my people Israel. And Saul is mad that he is the king over it, but he's lost the kingdom. And then David starts singing Psalms. All glorious is God in his in his realm. He sits upon the cherubim. He sits upon the heights. He's all glorious, his God. Saul is just going to get more angry. <laughs> He's going Hulk. He's just, oh. So he grabs the spear. Why does Saul have a spear? What in the world? He's in his, his house. He is, he's on his throne. He is in the most secure unhostile place a king could be it's so unhostile that his best warrior fighter guy is holding a harp and here's Saul in the midst of that and he has a spear he's just so bent and messed up and and off he hurls the spear thinking I will pin I'm going to pin David to the wall but David dodged him and says David dodged him twice. The second time is going to come up here. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. 
but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence. Get that music out of here. I don't want to hear it. Get away from me. Because it's just making everything worse for him at this point. So he makes him commander of a thousand men. He gives him charge over a thousand men. Go fight. Go out and do your war thing. You're, these psalms are driving me crazy. So Saul goes, or David goes out and he starts fighting again. He goes back to fighting. The, the music that once gave him relief no longer gives him relief. It just drives him crazier. And then Saul gets this plan. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll get David a wife. I'll give him one of my daughters to marry. And then he'll be so Twitter-pated and so distracted being married that he won't be able to fight anymore and he'll quit with all this song singing business and he'll, he'll be kind of rotten for Saul to think, my daughter's going to be a huge stumbling block for this guy that's really awesome. <laughs> but that's what he says. And David kind of adds insult to injury. He's like, what? Who am I? Why in the world would I be worthy to marry the king's daughter? I'm not going to marry her. And so they give that daughter, Merab, off to somebody else. She marries somebody else. But now Michael, which is a lady, a lady named Michael, she loves David. So now you got to, you got to, you got to think outside the paper here and you got to think about like, sometimes I want action figures or I want, I want little people or something. Cause if you're watching this in a movie, you would get it. Jonathan becomes best friends with David and these guys are like bros and they are just like, they're always fighting together and they're doing stuff together. And this is just awesome. Jonathan's sister is the lady named Michael. And so she's going to be around. This is totally, our, our family has seen this happen where two guys are buddies and one of them marries the other buddy's sister. But these guys are such good buddies and they're like, oh man. And the sister's always around and the sister is looking at her brother's best friend and she's like, I love that guy. He is awesome. I want to marry him. Somehow that word gets to Saul. And so Saul thinks it up again. Okay, this is just what I needed. So Saul does a bunch of manipulating with different people. Let's get the gossip train going. And David hears that Saul wants to, David to marry Michael, his daughter. And now Saul is friend, or David is friends with Jonathan. And he's like, so your sister. And Jonathan's like, oh man. You know, they're getting all this conversation going. But then again, David says, who am I? I'm just a shepherd boy. I don't have an awesome reputation. This is really funny. I don't have an awesome reputation. I don't, I'm not some regal person that could just become the son-in-law of the king. Nobody in here is like, dude, you killed Goliath. Like you could do nothing else and your reputation would be awesome. Maybe David's humble. Maybe he really thinks you got to do more than just kill one giant to become the son-in-law of the king of Israel. 
all want, all of David's life, even when he wasn't the king, he really has a lot of reverence for that role of king of Israel. So then they're like, oh man, Saul says, the only way I'd ever let anybody marry Michael, my daughter, is if they brought me a hundred Philistine foreskins. What? Totally gross, right? And David is like, well, that ain't nothing. I kill Philistines just like this. And so now he's got a dare. He's got this thing, this thing that would be really, really hard to do, super difficult, super gruesome. And if he could pull it off, he would show that he is worthy to be married. It's almost like a dare. This is almost like a double dare, right? Oh, yeah. The only person that could do that would be if they could, you know, stand on their head for five minutes. Well, I'll show you I can stand on my head for five minutes. It, it, it makes its way to David like a, like a dare. And he does it. And he shows up. So basically, um, they kill 200 Philistines. And there's all kinds of history of this kind of thing. There was a, a tomb. There was a tomb sort of a little bit before this time where this guy, uh, they buried the hands of all of his enemies just to show that he could kill 500 men. There was this tomb of a thousand hands in it. And it's like, you can't take, you can't take 500 bodies and throw 500 bodies in there to show that you killed 500 guys. What are we going to do to show that he killed 200 Philistines? Well, this is portable. So here they are. So he shows up with this from the 200 Philistines and Saul was counting on him getting killed. He was like, he's got to die. As soon as the Philistines know what he's doing, they're going to kill him. And they didn't. They couldn't because God is trying to wipe out the Philistines. And so he shows up. He's mad. The other thing in here, sometimes this gets translated as bride price. And it's important. Um, God in his system never, never wanted women to be bought as brides. This is more of a, and, and bride price is a really bad translation too. Um, it's more of a, I'm just going to show you how awesome I am. If the, if the father of the bride was like, I don't know this kid. Is he going to be a good husband? Is he going to be able to defend my wife? You know, if I'm the king, is he going to be tough enough? This is kind of like, you know, uh, a guy showing his retirement plan to his future father-in-law to show how well invested he is. Or showing off what kind of big truck he drives so that his father-in-law will be like, okay, anybody that drives a truck like that is never marrying my daughter. That kind of thing. That's what this was. And so... Michael marries David. So now Jonathan and David are buddies, but they're also brothers-in-laws. Brothers-in-law. And, um, and that just makes them better friends. Michael, son of Saul, or daughter of Saul, she loves David. And this is a big deal. And this is something to hold on to and keep in your memory. This is one of the only times in Scripture that it's mentioned that a wife loved her husband. Isn't that wild? 
There's a whole Rachel and Leah where they're trying to make Jacob love them. And they keep on having babies and their servants are having babies and all of that. And that gets close. But otherwise, this is the only time that it's mentioned that a that a woman loved her husband in the Old Testament. And that's going to be really important in a few years. So they get married and they keep on fighting and David keeps on fighting for Saul and he just keeps winning. This just makes Saul more angry. And his daughter isn't a snare to him. His daughter isn't stopping him from going out and fighting. He's still going. And it reiterates it at the start of 1 Samuel 19. Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, to all his servants that they should kill David. So Saul is no longer saying, I'm going to try to set stuff up. I'm going to try to manipulate him. He's like, y'all, you need to kill David. Jonathan loves David. And he tells David, my father seeks to kill you. So be on guard. Be in a secret place. I'm going to try to talk my dad into not killing you. And so they talk. This is really pretty cool. Because this starts to give us a hint of what it's like for a king to want to kill somebody. But the son of the king to intercede on the behalf of somebody and talk them out of killing him. This is a little bit what Old Testament, um, this is the same kind of thing that when Yahweh was mad at all the people and he said, Moses, scoot over a little bit. I'm going to wipe out all these people and I'm going to start over with you like Adam and Eve. It's just going to be you, Moses. And Moses interceded and said, please don't do this. Don't kill the, all these people. Here it is again, intercession. Jonathan speaks to Saul, talks Saul out of it. What? Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. This is down in verse six. And Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. So Saul changes his mind. Jonathan called David. Jonathan reported to him all these things. Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as before. Reconciliation has happened. Peace has been brought about by the son of the king. Isn't this what Jesus does with us? I mean, I'm not saying it's it's not perfect analogy because God's not mad at us. But here's the son making peace between the people that are about ready to have judgment and the king. There's war again. David goes out to fight with the Philistines. He just beats him and beats him and beats him. And then Saul goes berserk again. Now we have a second time. And he throws his spear. Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear. And he eluded him. And David fled and escaped. Where does David flee and escape to? He just goes home. And Saul has had enough. And he's back to his rage. And he sends men to his house. He says, go to David's house, the home of Michael, my daughter, and David, and kill him. But David is smart, and the Lord is with him. So they take 
a household idol, what in the world? Some people in this day had household idols. They had statues. And we don't know if they were praying to these statues, if this was a local Philistine thing that they had picked up. I don't know what's going on, but they basically had a dummy, a statue in the house. They put it in the bed. They put goat hair on the top of it. And they, David and Michael put it in bed next to Michael and she sleeps and David runs out the window and flees. All of Saul's men come in the morning to kill him. They're like, where is he? She says, he's sick in bed. Don't hurt him. They all march into the bed and they pull the blankets back. And there's the statue with the goat hair on it. Oh, foiled. And Saul is mad. Why are you working against me so my enemy would escape? This is like totally out of an action movie, isn't it? Michael says, he told me to let me go or he'd kill me. So now she is freed from her. Saul's not going to kill her. David has escaped. So where do you think David would go? If David, if everybody's against him, he could go to Jonathan, but Jonathan's right there in the king's court. The the king's going to kill him, so he can't go to the king. All the court people want to kill him. He flees. This is verse 18. This This is cool. David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done with him. Imagine being Samuel. We haven't heard from Samuel in a long time, right? Remember, Samuel cried all night long that Saul was no longer going to become king. He went and he anointed David to be king, and then he went away. And he probably went off. Remember, his sons were corrupt. So he's probably just feels isolated and alone, but he's with the Lord and he's worshiping the Lord and he's praying. And all of a sudden, David shows up. We don't know if David is still dressed in Jonathan's robe and his armor and all of that. We don't we, we don't think he's got any of that stuff anymore. He's probably just David. And he goes to Samuel. And this is almost like a reset time. It's like, I need you to tell me that I'm going to be the king of Israel. Because you showed up at my house and you dumped oil on my head. And you said a whole bunch of things. And sure, I killed Goliath and I can kill Philistine. I can fight. I can, I can be the warrior. But it does not feel like I'm going to be king. And man, this is a an awesome picture for us. Because there's all kinds of times where we do not feel very Christian. We do not feel like Jesus died for our sins. We do not feel like the Holy Spirit is in us to empower us and to guide us and to help us. And it's awesome to be able to go back to your reset and to just be like, okay, look, I need to hear this again. I need to know about this again. Uh, Isaac and David and I, you know, they, they've been out on all these adventures as they're being young men. And there's times that they've come back to me and they're like, okay, look, what is this? How does this work out? And they're asking me things about Christianity that we get to revisit. We get to go over again. We get to talk about. It's good to have friends that you can do this to and you can do this with or to be that Samuel to them, right? Told him all that had happened. 
And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. They went, for all we know, this is it. These two guys, David is really, really young. Samuel is really, really old. And they're just going to wait and seek the Lord and see what happens next. So Saul hears about it. This is the, another really weird thing. We got a couple weird things to talk about over your lunch, your after church lunch today. So Saul's like, send out people to get him. Go get him and bring him back. And so they go and they, uh, Saul sent messengers to take David when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying because there's a bunch of other prophets with Samuel learning from Samuel how to be prophets. The spirit of God came upon them and they prophesied. So whoever Saul sends to get David becomes a prophet and they all start prophesying. And then he sends another group. He's like, if they all became prophets, send more. So these guys go and they get ready to talk to Samuel and they're going to say, you need to send David back. But something happens, whether it's the Holy Spirit. I mean, it says the Holy Spirit comes upon them. The Holy Spirit is there. They're hearing this and they become prophets, too. This happens three times over. Saul sent messengers again the third time. They all became prophets. Something about God's presence is so great around Samuel that whenever people come to talk to him, they become prophets and they start prophesying. So then Saul went. Okay, what do we know about Saul? Saul is easily influenced spiritually. He is influenced. Remember when he became king, how the spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied and everybody said, is Saul among the prophets? And that became a saying. Now Saul has this evil spirit and he's just really consternated and just having this really hard time. I mean, he's kind of going crazy, right? Well, Saul, with this sensitivity and this craziness, goes himself. What do you think is going to happen? He says, where's Samuel and David? What somebody said, they're at Naoth and Ramah. He went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. So now Saul is prophesying all along the road. He too stripped off his clothes, and he prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all that day and into the night. Thus it was said, is Saul also among the prophets? Wait, what? Yes, Saul got so into worshiping God that he took off his clothes and worships God naked. What does this have to do with anything? Well, remember what Saul is dressed like. Saul is dressed like the king of Israel. And whenever the spirit of God is upon a person, they say what's true. It's the truth. Prophesying is to say true things from God. And I think somewhere in here, we don't know. I mean, it's, it, we don't give a lot of detail here, but just looking at the other scriptures and, and looking at Psalms and looking at how God works in people, I think Saul realized he was dressed as a king and he was acting like he was the king. But when he was confronted with the truth of God, that he could not be king, he couldn't even act like he was the king in God's presence. And so all he had on was king, kingly clothes. And so he trashed all of them. And it was better to be shamed and naked 
than to act like he was a king in God's presence when God is the king. I think that's what was I think that's what was going on here. It sounds comical, the description that we get, and you're kind of like, what in the world? But I think if you worded it a little bit differently to think through, okay, he is humbling himself. He's saying, I am not worthy to be dressed like a king, and I'm fully confronted with the truth of God, with the Spirit of God. And so he removes all of that and, uh, and is no longer, removes the authority. Remember when uh, the lady said, if only I can touch the hem of the Messiah's garment, I will be healed. Because the clothing that Jesus wore represented his authority as the Messiah. And so clothing as authority, remember how we started with this? Jonathan was taking off his clothing and his authority and putting it on David. And that, that confers upon David his authority as the heir to the throne. We end this weirdest two chapters in 1 Samuel today with Saul being confronted with the truth that he is not the king of Israel. And so he takes off all that kingly garb and in his little bit of madness, um, Lays naked that day, all that night, and then the word got back out. Saul is Saul among the prophets. Remember, they said that when he first became king, and now they're saying it. Spoiler alert: as he finishes being king, and that will carry us into next week. So let's pray. Lord, what a weird section of scripture. There is all all sorts of odd things in here, Lord. And I pray that you would use all of this to encourage us and to speak to our heart and souls that we would seek after you with all of our heart. That we would come face to face with the truth of your love and your grace for us. And that we would not hold back anything. That we would wholeheartedly and fully seek after you, Jesus. With the, with the zeal of, of David fighting Philistines with the love of Jonathan towards some other people that loved God as much as he did. Put that in us, Lord, and inspire us and propel us on. We love you, Lord. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number...